your Bibles to John chapter number 6. John chapter number 6 this morning. And I want to preach a message this morning entitled, Nobody Gets It. John chapter number 6 this morning. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 1. John chapter number 6 and verse number 1. The Bible says, After these things Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him, because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? Notice verse number six. And he said, and this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time that we can spend in your word. God, I pray that you would help us as we open your word this morning. Lord, as we look to you, God, I pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds, that we might behold the wondrous things that you've placed in your word for us this morning. God, I pray that you would take me as your servant. Lord, that you would empty me of any self and any sin, that you would fill me with your spirit, hide me behind the cross, that it might be all of you and none of me. Lord, I pray that as I speak to ears, this morning that you would speak to hearts and you would do the work that only you can do for it's in Jesus name we ask and pray. Amen. I think you're familiar with this passage, the feeding of the 5,000, one of the more common passages in scripture that we turn to. I want to show you a few things from this chapter that maybe you've missed and maybe you've read through it and you say, wow, you know, I know this passage. I know what's going to happen. I know what Jesus is going to do. But I'd ask you this morning to give me just a moment to look at this passage, to approach God's word with fresh eyes this morning and ask God to help us to see things that he would have for us. The first thing that I want to show you from this passage, if you're taking notes this morning, is the earthly reactions, the earthly reactions. The first thing that we come across as we're reading this passage, Jesus, he goes over the Sea of Galilee. There's a large crowd that's following him. He goes up into a mountain to teach them. And as he's looking up, we know that the day moves on, that it gets later in the day. And he looks and he wants to feed this multitude. They, there's no buckies to go to in order to grab something quick. There's no fast food that they can go to in order to, to get a quick meal. He looks and he realizes that we need to do something to feed this crowd of people. And in this passage, in verse number five, the Bible says, then when, when Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw the great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? You know, the first thing I see here is a mysterious solicitation. 
This is interesting. The Bible says that Jesus looks at the people and he asks them, he says, when shall we, speaking to his disciples, when shall we buy bread that these may eat? And in the next verse it says, and this he said, notice these next words, to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Mysterious. If Jesus knew what he was going to do, stop and think about this, then why did he ask the disciples what they thought he should do? I mean, why the pretense if Jesus already knew how the situation was going to end up? Why ask the question at all? Why not just lay out exactly what he was going to do and skip all of the mystery, all of the pretense, everything that goes along with these questions? He asked him, and the Bible says specifically, to prove him. You know, this is the same reason that 2,000 years later, we still struggle with the same thing. We look and we say, well, if God owns the cattle on a thousand hill, then why do I need to give to missions? If God is in control of everything, why do I need to tithe? If, if God is the great physician, then why is my family member sick? If God can raise the dead, then why did my family member die? We look just like the disciples and we say, well, if God can do everything, if God can fix this problem. If God can give me employment, why am I still unemployed? If God can fix my car, why is it still not working? We look just like these people do and we look at God and we say, well, if God can do this, then why is he asking me? A mysterious solicitation. Jesus looks and he says, hey guys, what are we going to do? I think if Jesus were here this morning, he might ask the same question. He might look at this church and he may say, hey folks, hey disciples, hey hey people that follow me, hey Christians, how are we going to reach Asheville, North Carolina? How are we going to reach the Asheville area? How are we going to reach Fletcher? How are we going to reach North Carolina? How are we going to reach the world with the gospel? And he looks to you and he looks to me and he says, what are we? What is this church? What is Boiling Springs Baptist Church? What are we going to do? The interesting thing is Philip answers him. Philip steps up to the plate and he answers him and says, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that everyone may take a little. We see the mysterious solicitation and Philip goes to the exact same place that I believe we go to, to a monetary shortfall. He looks and he says, now, Jesus, I know what you want to do. You want to feed everybody here. Here's the problem. Four months worth of wages. If we take everything that we have, if we combine all of the resources that we have together, we can come up with about four months worth of wages. But if we take everything that we have, if we combine it all together, it's not enough for everyone to have a little. And I believe we say the same thing to God. God, you know what? I know that we need to reach the world. If I take all of the available time that I have, if I take all of the available money that I have, in fact, if all of us collect all of the money that we have in savings, we put it in the offering plate this Sunday, there's still not enough to reach every person in this area. There's still not enough to reach North Carolina. There's still not enough to reach the world, even if we did everything that we could. 
I mean, yeah, I can increase my missions commitment by a little bit this year. I mean, if I give everything that I have extra, maybe I can go up by 10% on my missions commitment for the year. But what is that? Isn't that what Philip says? But what is this? What is that among so many? If I look at the world, if I look at all the people that need to be reached, what in the world is the little bit that I can do among so many? What can I do? There's a monetary shortfall. There is no way that if you take what we have, we can do what needs to be done. Not only that, Andrew then steps up. Philip says there's a monetary shortfall. But Andrew steps up and he says, there is a lad which hath five loaves, five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what's that going to do? He says, we've got a little bit. We, we've, we've, we've taken a look at the crowd. We've taken a look at what all of us have. But there is material scarcity. In fact, Brother Leland, if, even if we did want to reach the world, even if we collected all of the money that we had, listen, there's still not enough people to do it. I mean, there's not enough people in this room this morning that if we wanted to reach everyone in Asheville, there is a, a lack of resources available, not just the money. We don't have the resources in order to accomplish what it is. I mean, Brother Leland, if everyone in this room surrendered to preach, surrendered to plant a church, surrendered to go to the mission field, that still wouldn't be enough to reach the United States of America if every one of us did it. How in the world... Can we accomplish this task if there just isn't enough money and there just aren't enough people? He looks and he says, I'm sorry. There is absolutely no way that we can accomplish what it is that you, Jesus, want us to accomplish. You ever been there? You ever been there? If you're honest with yourself, yeah, we can have missions conferences about reaching the world. We can have days where we go out and we hang door flyers. We can have times that we go and, and, and we're on the radio and we're doing all this stuff. But what is that among all of the people of the world? I believe that Jesus was sitting there and he's thinking, man, these guys just don't get it. They just don't get it. And I think God is sitting here today and saying, these people just don't get it. So then you know what happens, right? Jesus, he takes the five loaves, he takes the two fish, he prays over them, he breaks them, and he feeds the 5,000. An amazing miracle. And I bet Jesus is thinking, now these guys get it, right? Read the rest of the story when you have time in your Bibles. Read it this afternoon. Jesus does an amazing miracle. He, he breaks, the, he breaks the, the five loaves, two fish. He, he, breaks five, uh, he breaks it into the baskets. He distributes the baskets to all the people. Everyone eats until they're filled. Over 5,000 men plus women and children. Everyone is filled. They collect the fragments and they've got more left over than what they began with. An incredible miracle. And I bet Jesus is thinking, wow. How many times have you seen God do the impossible in your life? How many times have you seen God make a way when there's no way in your life, in your situation? God has healed those that the doctor says there's just no chance of healing. God has provided for you when there was no money in the bank account. God has done amazing things in your life. And God looks at you and he says, man, now they're going to get it. But what do we have here? The Bible says that we see these earthly reactions, but then we see errant responses. Look down with me in verse number 14. After Jesus has done the great miracle, 
Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. Stop and think about what their response. The response of the crowd, the multitude. This verse is very specific. It is actually referring back to Deuteronomy chapter number 18, verse number 15. This is where Moses is prophesying and he says, After I die, there will arise one that's like unto me, but God is going to speak through him. He is announcing that God is going to send the Messiah. The people in the crowd, they look and they say, Oh my goodness, look at what Jesus just did. He must be that prophet. That's right, isn't it? I mean, that's the right response. Isn't that exactly what they should have responded? Look at verse number 15. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, look at what he did. He departed again into a mountain himself alone. Wait a minute. Jesus does a miracle. They say he must be that prophet. They want to make him king. And Jesus refuses. How is that possible? Isn't that what Jesus was waiting for the entire time? He's waiting for the people to recognize that he's a Messiah and to make them make him their king. And when they're ready to do that, Jesus says, no, thank you. I'm not interested. How does that work? See, the problem is they wanted to make him a king by force at any cost. Why? Specifically, because the Bible says that they ate the loaves in the next chapter, Jesus rebukes them and he says, you're not following me because you want what I have to offer. You're following me because you ate and were filled of the loaves and the fish. And this is not what you should be seeking after. Now, I want you to scroll forward 2,000 years. See, a lot of times we complain in 2023 that churches aren't full. That's not true at all. There's a lot of churches that are full. There's a lot of places that call themselves churches that are full of people. They're building new buildings. They're packing out the auditoriums. And listen to what they're preaching. God can give you everything that you want. Do you want money? God will give it to you. You want wealth? You want prosperity? You want health? Listen, whatever it is that you want, God will give it to you. And there are people lining up. They will line up out the doors. They will wait wait for the next service, the second, the third, the fourth service, in order to hear that God will give you everything you want. But they're no different than these people here that looked and said, we'll make Jesus king as long as he will give us everything that we want him to. We live in a world today that has commercialized Jesus and reduced everything that Jesus can do in your life to the fact that Jesus can make your life easier if you'll let him in. And that is not the message of God's word. That is not the message of the cross. Jesus did not come to feed the people with loaves and fishes. Jesus came to give them spiritual food, spiritual bread, so that they could live eternally. And that is the same message in 2023 that Jesus was preaching in those days. If you're looking to Jesus for a way out of your problems so that your life can get a little better, so that you can make a little more money, Jesus says, I'm not interested in being that sort of a king. I'm here for something different. And the Bible says 
Jesus refused. So you look and you say, well, yeah. Yeah, preacher. I get it. The crowd didn't get it. People today didn't get it. You may be here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior and you're thinking, what? I've never heard this. What are you talking about? Jesus didn't come. All I've ever heard, I watch TV. I, 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 I've seen him on, on YouTube. I've seen preachers. They say that if I come to Jesus, Jesus will make my life easier. He'll make my life better. What in the world is this guy talking about? That's not the message of the cross. Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sin. You have a sin problem. The problem is that your sin will take you to an eternity without God in a place called hell. Listen, it might not be popular, but that's the message that Jesus was preaching. Jesus came to save your soul, not to fill your bank account. But preacher, what difference does it make? They're the crowd. The crowd never got it. These aren't saved people. These are people that just wanted Jesus for something. It's no big deal. Listen, brother, it's no big deal that the people out there don't understand what Jesus is trying to do. I know. Look with me. Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter number 6. Parallel passage. Parallel passage, this exact same account, Mark chapter number 6. You think it's no big deal that the crowd didn't get it? I would agree. Here's the problem. In Mark chapter number 6, Jesus goes up into the mountain. He's praying, right? This is immediately after. Jesus goes up into the mountain. He's praying. A few hours later, he gets done praying. The disciples are in the middle of the sea, in the middle of a terrible storm. Jesus says, you know what, I'm going to go across to the other side. And Jesus goes walking across the Sea of Galilee on the water. They see Jesus walking across the Sea of Galilee on the water, and they absolutely flip out. They go crazy. Oh, my goodness, there's a, there's a spirit. Oh, my goodness, we're going to die. What are we going to do? They absolutely go crazy. Jesus, of course, calls out to them. He comes up, he gets in the boat. He gets in the boat, the winds and the waves stop, and the Bible says that they went nuts. Look with me in verse number 6. Chapter number 6, verse number 51. And he went up unto them in the ship, and the wind ceased. And listen to these words. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. Listen, when God says something, he, he uses the words with a reason. The only way that the interpreters could interpret this expression that you find in the text is with this word that just piles reactions on top. Think of this. He, the Bible says, for they were sore amazed. That means they couldn't believe it. And then on top of that, it says, in themselves beyond measure. They were sore amazed, which means they couldn't believe it. Beyond measure, it's intensifying it. And then on top of that, it says, and wondered. They could not believe what just happened. And look at verse number 52. Why? Why were they going crazy when Jesus came and got in the boat and the storm stopped? For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. What? 
They didn't consider the miracle of the loaves. Jesus walked across the water and then calmed the storm. And then the Bible says they didn't consider the miracle of the loaves because their heart was hardened. Let me ask you a serious question. What in the world does the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 have to do with Jesus calming the storm? What are you talking about they didn't consider it? The two have nothing to do with each other, do they? I guarantee every one of you have read through this passage before. I guarantee that every one of you have heard preaching on this passage before. And when you hear preaching on this passage, because I've preached it before, we say, hey, God can take a little bit and he can do a lot. Give to Jesus what you have. If all you have is five loaves and two fish, give it to Jesus and Jesus can multiply it. Let me ask you a question. What does that have to do with Jesus calming the storm? Here's the problem that I find. The disciples hadn't considered the feeding of the 5,000. And we haven't either. 2,000 years later, we're still just as confused as they were on what in the world the two could have to do with each other. That's the reason that every time Jesus does something in your life, the next time you get in trouble, you forget what he's done, and you go and you freak out all over again. You go crazy all over again. You can't believe it. Oh, my goodness. Jesus, do you know the situation? I mean, I just lost my job. And Jesus is looking and saying, but but you were sick a couple of years ago, and I healed you that. He said, but yeah, Jesus, you you did. But what am I going to do now? Oh, my goodness. Preacher, I I can't believe this has just happened. You're not going to believe it. I was just in this car accident, or this person is sick, or this is going on. I don't know what I'm going to do. And he says, but wait, didn't you just go through this a couple? of years ago. Oh my goodness, what am I going to do now? These terrible things are happening to me. And I believe that Jesus looks at us just like he looks at them and he says, the problem is you never considered the last miracle that I did. That's why you don't understand what I'm doing right now. Let me show you the essential realization. Go back to John chapter number 6. Let me show you the thing that you cannot miss. The essential realization that they missed. The point was so simple that that they missed it. And I believe the point is so simple that we miss it all the time as well. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 6. And he said this to prove him. Read these next words with me. For he himself, what? Knew what he would do. He asked this to prove them because he already knew what he was going to do. Now let me ask you a question. How did Jesus know what he was going to do? Because he knew what he could do. And what is it that Jesus could do? Anything that he wanted. The point of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 was not that Jesus could take a little bit and make it into a lot, even though that is a good application. The point of the miracle was that Jesus could do anything that he wanted at any time that he wanted because Jesus is always in complete control in every situation. 
The point is that Jesus can take a bad situation and he can change it because Jesus works best in impossible situations. Listen, when you're in a storm, if you understand that Jesus works best in impossible situations, when you're going through health issues, when you're going through financial issues, when you're going through the loss of a loved one, if you remember the point was that Jesus can do anything because he works in impossible situations, you won't be surprised when Jesus does something amazing in an impossible situation. You think it's too simple? You think I'm overstating the point? Go to the most spiritual man in the Bible, Job. The Bible says that he was perfect, upright, in fact, so perfect and upright that God chose him in order to put him through something that you and I can't even imagine. The Bible says that it took him 42 chapters in the book of Job to get to the point that he says this in verse number 1 of chapter number 42. Then Job answered and said, Now I know that thou canst do all things. 42 chapters of the worst trial in his life to get to the point where he says, now I know that you can do anything. He says, I had heard of you. I thought I knew you, but I didn't know anything. Now I know that you can do anything after the worst trial he's ever been through. Not only him. If you go to Genesis chapter number 18, do you remember Sarah and Abraham, the, the father of our faith, right? Abraham. The Bible says that God comes to him and he says, I'm going to give you a son. Do you remember what Sarah did? What did Jesus, what, do, what did the Bible say that God looks at them and at, at Sarah and says? Why do you laugh? Is anything too hard for God? Can you imagine the confusion in God's mind? He says, I'm going to give you a son. The easiest thing in the world for God to do. She's laughing at God and God has to ask the question, what are you laughing about? Do you think this is too hard for me? But I believe that when we go to God and we're panicked about our situation, he looks at us and says, what are you concerned about? Do you not know what I can do? Listen. Jesus was not concerned because Jesus knew what he could do. Listen, the reason that Jesus seems unconcerned when you get into a situation that you can't handle is because he already knows that he can do whatever is necessary in order to solve that situation because he can do anything that he wants. The point is so simple that we miss it. And he said this, why? To prove who? Him. Listen, whatever situation it is in your life that you're going through, you have come into that situation because God is using the situation to prove you. Because he knows what he's going to do. Listen, you may be here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior. The reason that you're here is not by chance. It's not by mistake. It's because God brought you here. You may be going through something in your life, but, but God brought you here for a reason. And the reason is to prove you. Because He knows what He's going to do. Because He knows what He can do. Because God can do anything. He can do the impossible. Let me ask you. What are you going through in your life this morning? What challenge are you facing this morning that seems impossible? What difficulty are you facing in your life right now? 
The reason that you're there is because God has you there to prove to you that He can be trusted, that He can do anything because He is God. The question is, are you going to consider what God has done in the past to get you to this point, to consider who God is and then react to your difficulty in the right way that expresses faith in God to take you through any storm. In those days, nobody got it. The question.